What's up, guys? This is the Prime Design Podcast. My name's Mita. And my name's Ryan. And we are Service Trillion. This podcast is a podcast that focuses on good game design, bringing that to the masses, and doing that by way of the Critical Gaming Network blog, written by Richard Terrell, who's a beast, and who wrote an entire blog course on game design. So first of all, salute to him. And we're going to be taking all our info from that guy. We're not really creating any of this. We're just going to put, we're going to try and make it as conversational as possible, but a lot of it will be verbatim because there's no better way to say it. So on this episode, we will specifically be talking about mechanics and, er, sorry, mechanics and abstractions too. Uh, where we'll be going over the variety of mechanics and their various levels of abstractions within games. Yes, and uh, we're gonna do we're gonna go through the tiers of uh, of mechanics. You good? Uh, we're gonna go through the tiers of mechanics from most concrete to most abstract in light of the factors that make up a mechanic. Uh, so let's get right into it. So what are the factors that make up a mechanic? Uh, the first, one of the first ones uh, that comes to mind is its individuality. And that means, does the input yield the same action or same result of that mechanic every time? The second factor of a mechanic is the measure of the, the degree to which the input method matches the form of the game. So does the form fit the function? Another factor of mechanics is its directness. And that means the, how does the method of input parallel with the action in the game according to the form of the mechanic? Um, and finally, is how, what is the uh, dynamic nature of the mechanic? So how does the game world respond to the action? How does, it, does, the, does the world react realistically? Um, so with those in mind, uh, we will go through this tier of mechanics and these four factors will be referenced throughout. So the first and most concrete mechanic is real motion. I think it's self-explanatory. It's in the name real motion. Um, things that you would do in real life is reflected in the game. A good example of this is Wii Sports. At the time that this game came out, it was quite revolutionary. And the reason is because each mechanic in Wii, Sport, Wii Sports is highly intuitive and highly individual. Nothing really overlapped. For example, the same mechanic that I would use for boxing is not the same mechanic I would use for golf. That is obvious in real life and it's obvious in the game as well. They did a great, they, they made, they did a great job of making those realistic actions uh, highly dynamic. The second tier coming down from that is one button equals one action. And a good example of this is Mario's jump. So the way, you can, the way we see it is that by hitting the button, Mario jumps, and by letting go of it, he falls back down to the ground. Now, if you hold it longer, uh, Mario jumps higher. And if you tap the button, then he like, well, it's like a, he jumps, like it's a shorter jump, it's a smaller jump. And so that kind of design makes the, the mechanic of jumping very direct and very dynamic. Um, and some players have found that 
they, and this is not technically how it works, but they would press the button harder, the jump button, and in effect, pressing it longer, um, pushing Mario higher. But it, they're not actually, they don't need to press it harder, it's just pressing it longer. But that, the fact that that worked is great design because it, it, the player didn't, there was no lapse there. There was no change in, in the reaction of the mechanic. It's just that the game was designed so well that, that both pressing it longer and harder is seamless um, to the player and they didn't lose any of the immersion. Yeah, so the third level is contextual commands. These are commands that make sense in the context in the context of a certain situation. An example of this would be Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, the way that Link can do a variety of actions all based around the use of the action button. Uh, so if he has to push, pull, climb, uh, put something away, attack, or talk to someone, these are mapped to a cert or one specific button. Um, and each time that is used, it makes sense in the context of the situation. So the actions are direct and intuitive in the game. They're dynamic, but the individuality of the specific mechanic is sacrificed to allow the player to do more with the controls that they have available. Yes. So the next tier are actionless. The next tier is... Next tier are. Next tier is actionless actions. Um, and a good examples of those uh, are found in action RPGs like Tales of Symphonia, Secret of, Secret of Mana, and Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles. Um, and these games have attempted to add deeper and more engaging gameplay um, by adding these action-based mechanics, um, but in the end kind of created abstraction. Um, and maybe it is engaging and deeper gameplay, but it, they created abstraction in the end. Um, so usually uh, these action RPGs have functions that are intuitive, direct, and individualistic. However, the range of resulting actions from each mechanic usually falls short. And so there really isn't any individuality for each mechanic. And where, you, where, where it's found is Let's say I hit you, I attack you, or I hit you with the sword, I kick you, and then I shove you. But all three of those result in the same animation. And then they all have their own set hit point or deduction, right? Since it has the same animation, I'm not going to see it as three different actions. It's really just one. Um, Mix, which makes all three of them redundant. So you just lose the individuality of all three of those, of those mechanics. And then now I'm just looking at what has the highest damage. I'm going to use that, which to me takes away from its individuality and some of the dynamics. Um, and so players will then just look, to, they'll learn to look at the numerical damage regardless of what mechanic is in the game. And that's what they will, that's what they'll use as a gauge in battle. And so this just makes the game feel you're, you're disconnected and the mechanics, they're just kind of this nebulous, maybe I can use it, maybe I won't. It all depends on the, the numerical damage. Yeah, so in traditional RPGs, you don't have those action uh, mechanics in it. It's all just stuck with traditional math equations, 
plugging data into spreadsheets essentially. So you're given your character stats, their weapon stats, armor, whatever other abilities that the character has. And then when they go into battle, your attacks are based on what equipment you have and what your character can do. And then also what your enemy character can do. Now, something like uh, Pokemon, um, the Final Fantasy series and Dragon Quest series, uh, Pokemon specifically, I know, I, I, I always thought this was a strange mechanic to me, but I know it's just a product of the time. But, uh, you know, in Pokemon, you go into battle, you select to attack, and the attack is either extremely effective, it's either not effective, or it's sort of effective. And it's all dependent on your players, or your character's traits, and the enemy's traits. And that determines everything. So you end up getting stuck into cycles of attacking and healing and then attacking again. And it takes you out of the immersion of the game because you can't actually you know, change anything in battle. It's just you telling it to attack. Then you receive the results. And that's pretty much it. Yes, and so now the, uh, we move on to uh, what's called the invisible trigger. And this is seen in Assassin's Creed, Assassin's Creed's spy mechanics, and, but also a bunch of open world games like GTA and Saints Row and things like that. Um, and so the issue with open world games is that they, it's, it kind of shoots itself in the foot because it's an open world. So you expect that the whole world is something you can interact with, but that's not possible because we can't make everything in the whole world like the real world. Like we can't make everything in the open world like we can in the, in the real world. There's just too much. Um, so you can't, the player cannot react to everything uniquely and accurately. Some things will end up having to be redundant, like human characters. Um, and it's especially evident in Assassin's Creed where, and this is kind of GTA as well, but the bystanders are either oblivious, pugnacious, or flat out unrealistic. There's no you can't accurately portray humans and do it differently every single time. And that's just the way the game, it's like an inherent nature of the game. Um, and this kind of breaks the player out of the immersion because then you, you immediately realize that um, you're in this illusion and you're just playing a game that has a limited amount of outcomes and a limited set of rules. I think I think in the future though we're not gonna we're gonna see less and less of that as games I agree. are able to simulate worlds better. Yeah, uh, another portion of that uh, in the in Assassin's Creed games. So when you're prompted to go and eavesdrop on a conversation, generally you have to climb up to a specific spot, and it activates this eavesdropping cutscene where you are then presented with relevant information to continue your quest, and that's really contrary to kind of the rest of the game it's a big open world you have a lot of different things you can do different ways you can do them you know a variety of weapons variety of routes you can take and different play styles and all that so when you run into something like that where you are forced to behave in a specific way it really pulls you out of the immersive world um, and tells you that yeah you're still in a game mm, yes um, and now to move on to the uh uh, to the last and honestly it is the least of all of these tiers um, 
but the example it's called strict progression um and the example is are there are two examples zach and wiki and crimson room and basically and honestly to me personally this just seems like a terrible like terrible games these don't seem like like games that like i'll just read here's what richard terrell says okay <laughs> i'm just gonna read this to you the forms functions inputs mechanics and progressions are highly disjointed the player must continually learn new rules and par parameters through sometimes frustrating trial and error and then discard the parameters because the game rules and strategies are inconsistent from one part to another there's only one or a few ways to solve each puzzle or challenge figure it out is the cynical gameplay mechanic to me that just sounds like a shit game that's just like it's like a puzzle like a legit jigsaw puzzle but like not calming and not tranquil do you know what i mean <laughs> plus like what are you saying the rules continuously change so oh. you get a grip on how things should work and then rules change and whatnot so yeah i mean it sounds challenging at the very least at the very least yeah, yeah. Um, so please, I mean, I guess if it's a work of love and art, go ahead and make a game like that, but I'm begging you, please don't do that, please. Um, and so really the conclusion to all this is that when we make games, we really should think about, and to me, I think the mechanics are the most important. Everything else is cherry on top, whether it's the art, the music, the sound, um, the UI, UX or anything like that. I think that the mechanic, the way you play the game is the most important thing. And the more mechanics we, we strip of these four vital factors and the higher level of abstraction that we use, it really takes away from games that could be more fun and could be classics and uh, could really honestly change the world. Because I think the more you align games with reality i think you have a better chance of of having an actual like real life impact on a person at least that's what i think i mean games can do that with abstractions but i think um the immersion more immersion i think is better i'll just leave it at that um so that's the lesson for today that was mechanics and abstractions too uh, if you want to follow along on the blog uh there's definitely more info there um, and there's comments at the bottom that we will not read, but they're on the blog. So moving on, uh, we like to choose a game and then talk about its mechanics. Um, and sometimes they're either related or not related to what we just talked about today. It will be. Um, and the game that we'll, uh, that I'll talk about is the, is a game on my phone actually. Um, and it's a game called Lone Wolf. And it's basically about this, this dude and he's like a mysterious dude like i honestly i haven't finished the game yet so i don't even know who the dude is um but basically he's a lone sniper and that's who you play as and it's first person um like stick man game basically where the entire game is played through a rifle scope and that rifle scope is moved around the the map using like one of your thumbs and then there's a button at the bottom right where you can shoot and then there's a reload button and then two little buttons to zoom in and out. That's pretty much the entire gameplay. Other than that, there's cutscenes and things of that nature, but the game is really played through the rifle scope. And I think that that specific mechanic is extremely individual um, and intuitive. Um, 
and I would say it's 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 direct as well. Every that that's a very specific uh, the rifle scope at least. Um, but though similar to Link's action button, the the uh, the shoot button. Well, I, no, no. Let me rephrase that. The uh, the shoot button at the bottom right corner is also intuitive, but it's not as intuitive as the rifle scope. You, you kind of have to find it. And yes, it has like a, a fire animation thing, but it's it doesn't align realistically as well as the rifle scope. Um, and so I would kind of put this as a like a like between a tier two and a tier three game because everything is mapped to its own mechanic. Everything does its own thing, um, and it's very clean and it's very it's pretty intuitive. But I think it still lacks the realism of a real motion or um, actually let me rephrase that again. Holy shit. I, I'm, I'm, an, I'm really analyzing this as I'm, as I'm going here. So I'm, um, <laughs> we're kind of, this is a process, but how does it make you feel? <laughs> it makes me actually, it's a, I feel pretty good. Honestly. Um, actually, now that I'm, I'm actually, I have the game open and I'm kind of playing it a little bit. It's actually a, a tier two game. I think it's a one button, one action. The reason I say that is none of the actions on the game map to anything else. Everything is its own thing, which means that it's all, everything is, is as individual and intuitive as it gets and direct. So there's really, there's no, nothing's hidden within another uh, button. So in, in that effect, it's a tier two. I think, I've rambled on too long. Um, that was way easier than I thought it would be. All right, back to you, Ryan, on the game news. All right. This week in the news. So, all you PlayStation 4 players, all you dudes doing Fortnite, you know how I feel about Fortnite, uh, y'all will be able to play with your PC and Xbox One friends and probably Switch. Uh, I think Switch, too. Um, and phones and stuff, too. Yeah, so uh, Sony is finally allowing cross-platform play on the PS4. For a long time, they've been against this, um, but they finally broke down and are letting this happen, which to me seems pretty darn crazy that you could even have PS4s talking to Xbox Ones, PCs, anybody else, because... This could be a bloodbath. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's, that's part of the reason. So... PCs, I mean, they get mouses and keyboards. And honestly, I played with both mouse and keyboard and a controller. And I have to say, there's a significant advantage with the mouse. I just think it's more accurate. Um, so I think that's interesting that you'd have people playing against each other freely with those two different uh, controllers. <laughs> uh, in addition to PCs having the power advantage, they can you know do higher frames per second. They can generally render the environment better. So you know, that's going to give them a little bit of an advantage as well. And I think that's really interesting that you'd have people, you know, going between those platforms and have them all in the same place competing against each other. Mm. Uh, the other part of that is that when we grew up, this was unheard of. You couldn't connect PS2s to Xboxes and, you know, things like that. It just, it just didn't seem possible. So the fact that this was something... That ha that now is is kind of like the standard that's happening is absolutely crazy to me. That yeah, and honestly, like I was surprised when they got mobile phones in the mix. 
Yeah. That 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 blew my mind. I was honestly, I've been kind of waiting for the cross play between cross platforms to to happen, um, because, I mean, I just think that that's just a natural evolution. Like, why are we all separated? But like, um, the fact that they got phones in the mix that blew my mind. That opens a whole new thing for games in the future, um, and stuff like that because it, it people will be making games to be made for console and phones now. Yeah. It's not like just consoles or just phones. Like there's going to be a whole, not new genres, but like you're going to have to think about what can run on a phone and on a console and Fortnite can do it. And I think that other games will follow suit. And I think that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Phones are becoming the mobile platform that we've always wanted, but we never got. Didn't deserve. Yeah. (laughs) We didn't deserve it yet. No. Uh, yeah. So that's the AAA space. Uh, onto the indie game news. So we came across this really trippy trailer uh, for a game called Art School, as spelled uh, Art S Q O O L. It looks super goofy. Um, I just I, I went to the store. I watched the trailer, and I thought, wow, we should talk about that because the 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 game world, the art style, and everything looks really interesting. Uh, basically, you're you're a student at art school, um, and your teacher teacher is an AI being that grades your paintings um, based on how closely they resemble uh, the kind of what you're prompted to paint. Uh, so it's it's like MS Paint mixed with kind of Mario world exploration thing, all in this super trippy, surreal setting that that. It, it was just really interesting to look at. Um, and we'll be linking uh, to the article uh, with the trailer and everything on in the uh, description for the podcast. If you want to give that a look, it's really interesting. Mm. Um, it is very it, trippy. Yeah, it's, it's really that. trippy. <laughs> the game comes out next year. So um, I think early 2019. Uh, so keep your eyes open for that. Um, and which is when real quick which is when our game's coming out but that's that's you know we'll uh we'll touch on that uh in a second but no that's um i looked i watched the trailer and i was like this is something that people who are in an altered state of consciousness should uh explore um because it's very what's the word it's a, it's a trip surreal i yeah. I, I, <laughs> I don't have any other way of saying it it's just surreal it's really um and the color palette and the way, like all the the, the shapes and and shadows, and, and it's, it's a unique it's, experience. Yeah, and the like, it, it's very reminiscent of like kind of early, like uh, Windows ninety six sort of thing, um, with like the UI and everything. It really does re- resemble MS Paint, um, and then the color scheme and everything is very very nineties, and it's it's pretty sweet. Mm. Yeah. Yes. So that's the show. Um, in the future, I'd stay tuned uh, for another lesson from us. Uh, I think it's Mechanics and Abstractions 3. I'm not entirely sure. Um, yeah, I think it is. Okay. Um, and then in the future, we were, probably, we're planning on having some interviews um, in here as well. So these podcasts might get a little longer. Um, so stay tuned for that. And we're going to be interviewing some people within the industry and people who like video games and a whole bunch of stuff, YouTubers, whoever we can get our hands on, but yeah, stay tuned for that. 
Uh, and we're still working uh, on our game. We will announce in a couple weeks here. So stay tuned for that as well. Um, and you can follow us on all our social media and all the content that we're making. So we're on Twitter at Cerberus Trilly2. That's Cerberus T R, capital T R I L L I 2. Um, we're on Insta at Cerberus Trillion. Uh, we're on Snap at Sir Trill. That's spelled C E R T R I L L. Uh, we have a website, ServerStrilling.com. We have a YouTube channel, Service Trillion. We have a dev blog on Medium, Service Trillion. We have a Facebook page, Service Trillion. And we have a Discord, Service Trillion. And soon we will do a live stream. Or we will regularly live stream uh, for, I don't know, maybe like a half hour a week or an hour a week playing some games. You get to see us have some fun. Um, <laughs> Uh, and that guess what? That's also at Server Trillion. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> yeah. Follow us, and all that will be in the description of this podcast as well. So not to worry. Um, but yeah, hope you guys have a nice week. Hope you have a nice week. Or yeah, hope you have a nice week. I don't know when this is going up. <laughs> but, <laughs> whenever you but, decide uh, to post it, yeah. Whenever we decide to post it, have a nice week, and uh, I'll see you guys later. Yeah, thanks for listening, guys.